Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Craig. You guys can be seated. We will go ahead and pass our baskets before we get uh, too far gone. If you want to uh, put a donation in, we'd love for you to do that. In fact, in your bulletin, and we don't uh, draw the attention to this enough probably, but you have in your bulletin, it says here that we are... For the year, as at end of August, um, $2,078 under for the year. What that means is we've spent uh, $2,078 more than what has come into the offering plate. Now, where did that $2,078 come from? Well, it came from the, what we had at the beginning of the year. We had about $10,000 in the bank at the beginning of the year, and so we have about $8,000 in the bank you know, now at the, end, at the beginning of the month. So we don't want to, you know, pay, uh, borrow from last year to, you know, make ends meet this year. So if someone has a desire to meet that need, or if a few of you do, uh, hey, uh, we'd love for you to do that. Uh, that'd be fantastic. If maybe you don't uh, donate to the ministry here, um, I'd encourage you to consider doing so. Just search the Lord, ask the Lord what he would like for you to do. Um, we do not give by any sort of obligation. Paul makes that so incredibly in, in his letter to the Corinthians, we do not give uh, out of obligation or compulsion. We give just from what we desire to give in the heart. And so if we search our heart and there is no, God has not inspired us to give a dime, then we don't give a dime. But if the Lord has inspired us to give freely, then we give freely. Whatever the Lord inspires us, we are not bound. I'm sick and tired of people in the new covenant bringing pieces of the old covenant into the new covenant, including this thing of the tithe. We are, we are dead to the law. We are dead to the law so that we can be alive to God. And that includes the tithe. And so if nobody gave any money, well, we'll just meet in my living room and see what happens there. You know what I'm saying? So and if that's what you want to do, you know, you can still give. and We can still meet in my living room, you know. But um, there's just a little more space here, you know, for other people to come. Because you won't all fit in my living room. Uh, that's just the bottom line. So uh, I encourage you to consider that as we get towards the end of the year, which is crazy to think about the end of the year. We definitely don't want to be borrowing from last year, you know, to pay for this year, uh, if at all possible. So we just uh, trust the Lord that he will inspire his people to do what he desires. And that's it. So don't think of this as any sort of, hey, you better... All I'm saying is just search your heart because God trusts your heart. I trust God, and so I trust your heart. So we'll just go with that and see where the Lord leads us. So our continuing this uh, series that we've started called uh, The Gospel According to Marriage. And uh, if you, you're, you're here, you're tuned in to you know, get the uh, seven steps of how to have a successful marriage, uh, you're, you're probably 
going to be a little disappointed because that's not really what we're doing with this series. Um, I talked last week about the five keys to how to be happy though married. Um, that's not really what we're going to find in, in this series this, the, these next couple weeks. But what we are going to do is we're going to back from the table of, of what we understand and experience marriage to be. We're going to push back a little bit from it, and we're going to look at something else that is actually casting what I call the shadow of marriage into this world. In other words, like we talked about last week, in order for you to draw a shadow on a piece of paper, you have to know what? You have to know what the substance is that is casting that shadow. It's impossible to draw a shadow if you don't know the object that's casting the shadow, or else you just draw, you know, a bunch of shaded, you know, ness, you know, full page of, page of darkness. You have to know what it is that's casting a shadow. And so what I'm submitting to us that we saw last week in Ephesians 5 is that the substance of marriage is our marriage, our union to Christ himself. And from that substance, there is a shadow being cast into this world, into this uh, realm uh, that we call marriage between a husband and a wife. So here's the frustration that I find myself with so often. I'm sure you find yourself so often. We try our best to fix our marriages by simply trying to fix the other person. If they would just, or, and then they say what? Well, if they would just. And so we try to fix our marriages trying to fix each other. And what we're going to do these few weeks as we look at marriage and understand the gospel according to marriage, we're going to actually fix something. We're going to fix our eyes on our union with Christ. If that is truly the substance of what all marriage in this world is a shadow of, then the only way for you to fix your marriage, whether it's totally broken or whether it's just got little tiny cracks, whatever it is, because, I mean, raise your hand if you've got the perfect marriage out there, right? Exactly, right? Yeah. You, you, not, not one of us experientially on a day-to-day basis has a perfect, there's, there's issues, there's, there's stuff that happens. And so, in order to fix our marriages, let's follow this line of thought, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus and his union, his marriage to his bride, a.k.a. you. And it's by understanding that union of Christ and his bride, then we turn around to our bride or to our husband in this world, and we say, oh, okay, now I see how this works in this world because I've understood the substance. I now know how to draw the shadow because I've become familiar with the object. Does that make sense? So that's what we talked about last week, and we used this passage of Scripture. Uh, We went through the whole Ephesians, the last part of Ephesians 5, but the climax really was where Paul was talking about the union of Christ and his bride, how Jesus himself has taken a bride unto himself and has joined himself, and the two have become one, and Jesus considers the bride just as he considers his own self. So he cares for the bride, he nurtures, he cherishes the bride just as he nurtures and cares and he cherishes his own self. And Paul says this, for this reason, this, 
what reason? The reason of Christ and his bride, the object, the substance, what this is all about. For this reason, because Christ and the bride exist, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, just make sure we see this. I know we talked about it last week, but because of this amazing reality that we can't see with our eyeballs, but a reality nonetheless of what Jesus has done in taking a bride for himself, aka you who believe in him, because of this, we're going to do this down here on earth. A man's going to leave his father and mother just like Jesus left his father and is going to be joined unto his bride. And the two was not Jesus and humanity Two, yes, they were because of this thing called sin. We just sang about it. What a beautiful song. And the two become one new thing, one new man in Christ. So the two become one. So because of the reality, I left my wife. I uh, left my wife. <laughs> Rewind. Because of the reality, I left my father, I left my mother in 2003, and I joined myself to my bride, and we too became one. A shadow of the substance, Christ and his church. And as I confessed last week, when I got married in 2003, I was clueless about this. Clueless about this. I thought marriage is just something you did because, well, you know, it's just what you did. No, no. For this reason, The substantive reason of Christ and his church, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves unto his wife. And so when the shadow gets messy, and can I get an amen? When the shadow gets weird, when the shadow gets rocky, when the shadow gets messed up, why not push back from the table and go back to the substance and fix our eyes there and just watch him fix the shadow? Does that make sense? Otherwise, we're just trying to put little band-aids on things that just have no, we have no ability to fix. So we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus and his union with us. And so, today, we didn't even coordinate this whatsoever. We mean, me and uh, Craig, we're going to go back to the very, very, very first marriage union, two becoming one, recorded in Scripture at the very creation of the world. And so if, this is our, uh, our, our, our theory, if, our working understanding based on what Paul said last week in Ephesians 5, if the substance of Christ and his church is casting this shadow that's called marriage in this world, we can go back to the beginning of creation, the very first union, the very first marriage, and see how God put that together to actually learn about the substance of the church in Christ. Now, the church in Christ in a timeline did not exist way back at creation. But is God not outside of time and space and able to do even creation to reveal his glory? That's exactly what Paul says in Romans 2. He says that everything that is created, this is creation over here, this is this world over here, everything that's created reveals the character and the nature of the one who is uncreated. So we can go to creation and learn of the creator. And that's exactly what we're going to do Today, we're going to look at the very first creation, the very first union, the very first marriage. 
Building into some context very quickly, we'll look at the first five days of creation and then culminating in the sixth, which is where we're going to park for the rest of our time. On day one of creation, God created light. The Bible says that the world was formless and void, and Jesus was hovering, or the, the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and he said, let there be light. And in that moment, light appeared, and he separated the light from the darkness, and there was day one. And you could participate with me here if you've been to Sunday school class or you've read this before. God said, it was good. Let's say it really, because we're going to say this a lot, like six times. It was, there you go. Day two happened. There you go. I hear you. Day two, those waters that the Spirit of God had been hovering over for however long, God said, we're going to separate these waters, and we're going to leave some of the waters on the on the ground, and we're going to put other waters up in the sky, in the firmament, talking about the clouds, I, I believe. And he separated the waters, and he saw that the waters were separated, and he said it was good. Day two. Day three, down on the bottom where the waters were, he separated the waters from the waters and up out of the waters, from underneath the waters that, again, he had been hovering over for however long, up from the waters came what he, the Bible describes as dry land, dry ground appears. And all of these days, one through seven, all are a picture and a shadow of Christ and his finished work that we don't have time to get into because that's not the point of this message. But we have another message on the podcast from about a year ago where we talk about this. It's just amazing. But the dry land coming up from the water below, and God says, let there be all sorts of vegetation. And what's so important about the vegetation is he says that it is to produce seeds that bear after itself. In other words, this particular uh, 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 tree, an oak tree, is going to produce little oak trees. And they're going to bear fruit off of themselves, seed bearing after its own kind. It's very important. That is a picture of something, again, we're not going to get into this morning because we're talking about marriage, but it's so cool to see that the seed was placed in and what came out of the seed was the thing that the seed came from, a picture of Christ who is the seed of God within us and out from him in us comes his very life out of us, something so powerful, so awesome. But he looked at, after day three and he said, it is good. I've got two more or three more to do. On day four, we just sang about it, he created the sun, created the moon, and then the scripture just said, oh yeah, and he created all the stars. It's like just this, almost like an afterthought. Oh yeah, he created all the stars. too. And he saw it, and he said it is good. On day five, the scripture says that in the waters that he had separated down below, he created all the fish and all the sea monsters, the scripture says, all the different things that are teeming within the waters below. And he also created the birds that day on day five. And he said, it is good. And here comes day six. On day six, this is all in Genesis chapter one, he created every single living creature, every single creepy crawly creature, we used to say as kids, on the earth that, in the same way as the plants, produce life after its own kind. So cool that produce life after its own kind. And God said it was good. And on this day six, he said, let us make man in our image. And on that day, the scripture says, the Lord God took some material from the ground, and he formed it into man. And then he breathed life, as we just sang about, sang about, breathed life into this form of lump of clay. 
And from this lump of clay, man was created. And God saw everything that he did. Now, this is a little trickier one, okay? God saw all that he had done, and he said, it is very good. Yeah. So not only is it good, but it is very good. And on day seven, the scripture says, if you go over to Genesis chapter two, the first couple of verses, it says that God rested from all of his work. He stopped. He finished, not because he was tired, but because the work was done. But did you know, did you know that the scriptures say that there was something in creation that was not good? Did you know that? said day one was good, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It is very good, but there is something here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 that was not good. Any takers who didn't read ahead? What was not good? Okay, well, I was, I was pointing at her. <laughs> yeah, that man would be alone. Exactly. It, I just try to give Bob a hard time anytime I can, right? What's the old saying? If I can't give Bob a hard time, then I'm not having a good time. So... Most would say, or most would think, here's what's not good. Well, sin is not good. Sin was not good. Well, listen, listen. No, 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 no. What was not good, the only thing written, at least so far, up into chapter 2, that was not good was that man should be alone. Then the Lord God said, verse 8, if you want to follow along, we're going to be starting in 18 and continuing down for a while up until the end of the chapter. Because this is the account of God creating woman and creating the very first union, the very first marriage of two becoming one. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I, the Lord God, will make him a helper suitable for him. So out of everything that was good, day one, two, three, four, five, six, and even seven, the rest, the finished work, it is all good, good, good. There was something that was not good, and what was not good was that man would be alone. Suitable is the idea of compatible. Com- uh, 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 the idea of, of uh, companionship. This idea of something that was equal to. You, you know, we wear a suit, and if the suit doesn't fit, it's a very uncomfortable and awkward-looking suit. But, if the, but it's called a suit because it suits you. It fits you the way it's supposed to fit, tailored to your body. And so this word suitable is the idea of perfectly compatible. And so what the Lord God says, I will make something that is absolutely compatible with man. Now, how does he do that? Now, if we've been to, again, VBS, to Sunday school, if we read our Bibles before, we know the knowledge, the information, but I want us to look at this not simply from gaining facts from the Old Testament. I want us to actually read this and consider if Jesus is true, and he says in John 5 that Moses himself, who wrote the first four, five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, if if Jesus is true, Jesus says that Moses actually wrote about Jesus. So you say, well, where's the word Jesus in Genesis, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? You won't find the word Jesus, but you will find Jesus. 
And so if we just read this as just, oh, this is how God made, you know, woman and put them together and how cool that is, that's fantastic. That's like step A. But step B is what in the world is this revealing to us about Christ? In fact, if you ever read your Old Testament and don't ask that question, you'll miss what the Old Testament is actually about. Remember when the risen Jesus is walking to Emmaus with the two disciples? And he starts with Moses and he goes through the prophets and all, all the Old Testament, showing them how all of it is actually about the Messiah. And they said, did our hearts not strangely burn within us? And so there's a clue there for us. There's a key that all of the Old Testament is actually about Jesus. And so let's read through this. Let's walk through this, but let's keep at least in the front of our mind or at least in the back. What is this actually revealing about Jesus and his bride. So God is saying that he's going to make something completely compatible with man. Now watch what he does. Watch what God, the Lord God does. On day six, remember, there was also all of the creatures, the creepy crawling creatures that God had created. And so out of the ground, if you remember, on day six, the Lord God had formed every single beast of the field and every single bird of the sky. In fact, the birds of the sky were on day five. But he brought them all, all that he had created, he brought them all to the man to see what the man would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. So God, the Lord God, brought all of these creatures who had the very same origin as Adam because they were taken, as it says there, out of the ground. Where, what was Adam's origin? Out of the ground. And so you'd think, hey, these would be compatible with Adam because they came from the same place Adam came from. Well, let's keep reading. Were these animals suitable companionship for Adam? Well, look at verse 20. It says, the man gave the names, as he was told to do, to all the cattle, to all the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But, here we go, for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So of all the animals, there was nothing that was compatible with him. Even though they came from the same ground that Adam came from, they were not compatible with him. Nothing matched Adam. Nothing fit Adam. Nothing was like Adam. Nothing complemented Adam. Nothing was equal to Adam. Somebody define, I know Erskine's not here, he's out of town. Uh, he would shout this loudly. But somebody else um, who is here, what is the definition of the word holy? One word. What is the definition of holy? What does holy mean? Say it, Craig. Other. Other. Mean other. Okay, so we've got these chairs here in this pile, and we've got this one chair over here. This chair is holy to those chairs. It's other. It's separate. It's distinct. At this, Adam was holy to the animals. The animals were common. There was a gazillion of them, however many that the Lord had, had created. They were common, and they all met, worked with each other after their own kind. But Adam was separate. Adam was different. Adam did, was not compatible with them. Adam was holy from them. The other animals were common. So what was God to do? None of the animals fit Adam. So what was God to do? Well, God, now remember the question. Remember what we're thinking. 
How is this a shadow? How is this revealing to us something of Christ and his bride? So what was God to do? Seeing there was nothing compatible for the man, God had to create something new. Nothing that had been created already on day six or day five or day whatever would fit Adam. Nothing was like him. Nothing compared to him. There was a massive difference between the animals and Adam. Adam was made in the very image of God as a living soul. Now, is this anything against the animals? No. The, God loved the animals he created. In fact, Jonah, in Jonah, you know, God even lists animals as something that need to be saved from in Nineveh. He created them. He loved him, but they just simply were not sufficient to be the mate for Adam. So God must create something new. But from what? What? Where would God create something that would be compatible with Adam? And this is a moment for me where I just marvel at the genius of God. The only place where God could go to create something that was 100% compatible with Adam was to go into Adam himself and pull piece of Adam out. Look at what the Lord God says in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And the man's name is Adam. And he slept. And then he, the Lord God, took one of his ribs and closed up the patch at that place. So God did not go to the ground to create Adam's wife, he needed something that was guaranteed to be 100% compatible with Adam in every single way. And so he took a piece of Adam out of Adam. And verse 22 says, the Lord God fashioned into woman the rib, which he had taken from the man and then brought her to the man. This is so cool to me. It reminds me of modern medicine where a transplant team, I watch ER back in the 80s, 90s, right? So I'm an expert on this. Um, A transplant team was in search of an organ and they need one that matches perfectly. Why? Because their patient would reject. Your, Your body will actually reject an organ that does not perfectly match your body, your type, your blood, whatever it is, your T-cells, I don't know. I just made that up. Maybe that's a word. And so they'll actually reject the donated organ if there's not a perfect match. We know this from modern medicine. So how is God able to guarantee Adam would not reject this creation like he rejected all the animals? He said, hey, these animals are fantastic, but I reject them as Part of, as far as being my suitable companion. How was God able to guarantee that Adam would not reject this companion? It's because this new creation called woman was a part of Adam. And there's no possible way for Adam to reject her because she was taken from him. Do you see this? 
This has huge, huge, huge implications in a minute when we flesh out Christ and his bride. Again, in modern medicine, we have seen doctors and scientists actually try to grow new needed organs and tissue and flesh inside of the patient who is in need of the flesh and organs so that they can harvest it from one part of the body and implant it in the other, like an ear or whatever, so that the body doesn't reject it. Same idea. This genius God brings woman to man after taking her out of man, out of the man, and he brings her to her. And you get the idea, as it says, that he brought her to the man. You just get, at least I get this idea That God, the creator, in a very cool, real, intimate sense, is presenting to man his bride. Every husband in the room here remembers when you were not yet a husband and you were standing there at the front and the daddy of the bride was standing in the back linked arms with the most beautiful, precious, cherished thing that you could ever lay your eyes upon, and you are standing there. You've seen her before. You know her, but yet you are still so full of anxiety and, 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 and passion and, and hope and desire, and he starts walking her down the aisle in a very real sense to present her to you. And I see the very same thing happening with God, the creator, bringing, we know her name as Eve, to the man, to present her to him. The very thing that Adam had been longing for, the very thing that he didn't find in all of creation because it wasn't compatible, was finally right in front of her, presented to her by God with no spot, with no wrinkle, and as holy as he himself, Adam, was, other than the rest of the creation, perfectly compatible. So what was Adam's first response when he woke up? i tell you what his first response was. Whoa, man! That's why she's called woman. Whoa, man. Actually, that's not why she's called woman. In verse 23, it says this. The man said, now this. I mean, you hear that? I mean, he just spent all day with the cows and the donkeys and the deer. He hasn't found anything suitable for him, nothing that matched him. And now the Lord God presents woman, and he says, this is now bone of my bone. You see the compatibility? No rejection. No, no, no issue. No, no uh, incompatibility. No chance of incompatibility. This is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh as he looks down and perhaps even sees a scar on his side. She shall be called woman because she, look at this, it's in red. I put it there for, on purpose. Was taken out out of man. So man and woman, if you think of it very coolly, they were one already. 
And then they became two. See, Eve was already inside of Adam. And then the Lord God pulled her out. The one became two. And then the Lord God presented her to Adam. And then, as the Scripture says next, for this reason, this is what Paul quoted in Galatians, for this reason, and what's the reason here that, that, that he, uh, Moses is talking about? He's talking about the reason of perfect compatibility. Remember? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She matches me. She is as other like I am other. Nothing else compares to us. We are for each other. She is from me. So for this reason, because of this compatibility, a a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they... The one man and the one woman shall become one flesh. This reason is the reason of perfect compatibility. And they would become one flesh again. And I think that's a word that sounds strange. Again? Yes, again. Because she was in him and she was taken out of him And if we could get into like some seventh grade biology science class, upon their union, he entered into her and the two became one flesh. Did he end and she began one flesh? This time, she wasn't in him. He was in her one flesh, bone of my bone. And you have to hear the pleasure in Adam's words bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In other words, he's saying, yes, this is the one, for she is compatible with me. She fits me. She is like me. She is holy, other, like me from all of creation. Her identity is my identity, for she came from me. Do you see this? This is important. It's critical. The one became two, and then the two became one. In this union, union, it's a word, synonym being marriage, two things being brought together as one. Now here's this awesome, (laughs) but yet strange, well, you, you give me an adjective, closing sentence. And the man and his wife, now she's not just woman, she's wife, were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, why in the world would the Holy Spirit inspire uh, Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, to include this? I mean, wasn't it just cool enough, leave, and they become one flesh? No, he's got to put this kind of awkward, what do you do with it, sentence, and they were naked and not ashamed. Man, this is so rich. This is so rich. I want you to understand that between Adam and his wife, Eve, the very first union, which is a shadow of something that has in incredible substance, Christ and his church. We'll get to that in a second. We've got to understand the shadow a little bit of how this came about. 
Between the husband, Adam, and the wife, Eve, there was nothing to hide. There was nothing to be ashamed of. Sin had not yet entered into the world. That's the very next chapter, still in chapter 2. You turn it one more page, it's chapter 3. That's when sin enters the world. So as of this point, there was no sorrow, there was no death, there was no shame. Look at this. This is so important to see, to connect to, so that when we look at the substance, it just blows our mind. Between the husband and wife, the shadow, the husband was able to look at himself and to look at her, his bride, and there was nothing missing. There was nothing lacking. The two of them were complete in all ways. The woman, the bride, was able to look at herself and to look at her husband and she saw no imperfections, she saw no spots, she saw no wrinkles or any such thing. The two of them joined together were perfectly, completely complete. And they remained this way until when? About 14, 15 verses later when they sinned And sin entered the world. And for all of our Bible scholars out there, what was the very first thing they did once sin entered into them? Clothed themselves. They hid their nakedness. For now, shame, incompleteness had entered into them. And when they looked at themselves now, they saw incompleteness and they hid from each other because of sin. They saw spots, they saw wrinkles, they saw imperfections. And so they hid from each other and they hid from the Lord. So this was the very first marriage in human history. As I said a minute ago, marriage simply means the union of two things. In speaking in human terms, the shadow of Christ and his bride, it's the marriage, the union of a man and a woman, as we just read about in Genesis 2. And if you were with us last week, and and as I've been trying to emphasize again today and next week, the week after, we have to remember that marriage here on earth is a shadow of our marriage with Christ in heaven. And if that's true, then this very first marriage should also be a shadow of this union that Christ has with his church. And so what I want us to do in our few minutes we have remaining is go back, having now seen intimately Uh, the surface at least of how um, the first man and the first woman were brought together, which is but a shadow of Christ and, and his church, I want us to go back and specifically ask the question, what in the world is this revealing to us about Christ and our union with him? I'm going to give you our journey marker because this is going to be the point at which we sort of springboard everything else off of our time we have remaining. And it's this, just as Adam and Eve, which we just talked about, were a perfect fit. And why were they a perfect fit? For she, was, she came from him. Just as Adam and Eve were a perfect fit in the same way. Jesus saying, Moses was writing about me in the same way. Jesus and his bride, you, you who believe, check this out, are a perfect fit. You say, oh, come on now. How, how, how can that be? 
I, I know what I've done. I know the spots, the wrinkles, the blemishes that I've got going on. What do you mean that Jesus and me are a perfect fit? Well, Paul said that this mystery of Christ and his bride is certainly a great mystery. And so there's many things that I don't understand. And if you've got it all figured out, the, the mystery of Christ and his bride, then I'll let you take the mic next week if you've got it all figured out. But what I want us to do in the next five minutes we have remaining is to simply pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us this mystery of our union, our marriage with Christ as we go back and again survey this first union between Adam and his wife. Somehow, some way, and I don't understand, I don't claim to understand, Jesus desired a bride. And God said that it was not good for Adam to be alone. And in some sort of mysterious way, Jesus himself desired a bride, and the Father desired to give Jesus a bride. But look, look, this is so cool. Just as there was no single animal that was created that was compatible for Adam, nothing fit, Nothing of the ground fit Adam in the exact same way. If you snooze out on this part, you're going to miss everything. In the exact same way, when you come over to the substance, Christ, there was nothing of the ground, nothing of this creation because of sin that had entered into the human race. Nothing was compatible for Jesus. For Jesus cannot join himself to a sinner. Possible. It says impossible, it's as repulsive as Adam joining himself to an animal. And I'm not trying to like turn stomachs this morning, but as repulsive as that is, because Adam is other, they are incompatible in the exact same way. It is incompatible for Jesus, the last Adam, to join himself to any one of us who are still joined to sin. You see, we were incompatible with Jesus just as the animals were incompatible with Adam. Adam was holy. He was other. He was separate, different from all the animals. And in the exact same way, Jesus was holy, separate, incompatible with everything that came from the ground, including you and me who were born slaves to sin. So what did God do? What did God do for Jesus? Well, we know what he did for Adam. We just talked about it. He put Adam into a deep sleep. And in order to guarantee compatibility, he took out of Adam something and formed it into his bride. So what did God do for Jesus? No human being was compatible for all humanity was enslaved to sin. Therefore, no human fit Jesus. And here's what God did. In the incredible genius of God because of sin's enslavement of all humanity from the very first creation, God knew that the only thing that he could do was to create something new. Something new. And this new creation would not come from the ground like the first creation for everything of this creation was incompatible with his son. Because of sin. This is the kingdom of darkness, Paul calls it. So the new creation couldn't come from that which is below. Just as with Adam, his, uh, 
helper, his, what was suitable for him, couldn't come from anything that was already created. And so what did God do? God created a very new creation, a bride, a very new bride from his very own spirit. Just like the first Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, went into a deep sleep. But not just a nap like we saw on the screen in the scriptures. The last Adam died on a cross, and the last Adam in his death took on all the sin, the iniquity of the world, and thus ended the entire Adamic race in his death, going all the way back to Adam, ending the origin in Adam. And in this way, upon faith in Jesus, a very new creation would be born, created. And where does this new creation, where does the bride come from? It is born of the very Spirit of God. Ephesians 4, in true holiness and true righteousness. I think back to Adam and his wife. The great delight that Adam had when he finally saw, after however long looking at these incompatible animals, he finally saw one that fit him. And the joy that flooded his soul, the relief. pleasure. This is now bone of my bone. This is now flesh of my flesh. This fits me. She is mine and I am hers. If that is the shadow and the substance is always eternally greater than the shadow, I want you to imagine Imagine with me the great joy and the great delight, the great pleasure of the Son of God who presented to himself a bride that came from his own spirit therefore perfectly compatible, perfectly fitting him. Would not the Son himself say, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She is mine and I am you see it? Do you see it? Jesus presenting to himself the church. Jesus, God himself presenting to himself. He's both the one at the front of the altar and he's the one bringing her down. He's presenting to himself a bride. 
in all her glory, having no spot. Why? Because he has no spot and she came from him. Having no wrinkle. Why? Because he has no wrinkle and she came from him. Having no such thing. Why? Because she came from him. But that she would be like him, holy and blameless. Do you see it? Church, this is the reality of your union with the God of the universe. No spot, no wrinkle, or any such thing. Why? Because he loved you first. And he desired not to complete him, but because of who he is, he desired a bride to share who he is with. Oh, if we could see who we really are. If we could just see. If we could just but believe the truth of our identity. She shall be called woman in the Hebrew, Isha. For she came from man, Ish. The same name, just the female version, Ish and Isha. Your identity is Christ. There's this one more thing I want to point out. Completely naked, yet unashamed. That was in the shadow, remember? They were naked, but there was no big deal. Remember that part when Adam and Eve, if that's the shadow of something that has substance, what is the substance? Here's the substance. The reality is that you, the very bride of Christ, Stand completely exposed, completely vulnerable, completely naked, nothing hiding you from Jesus, and you have nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to bring guilt nor condemnation upon you. How can this be? Because your groom took it all upon himself and died on a Roman cross so that you and he could stand face to face with no shame. Wow. How can this be? You are not simply clothed. We hear this a lot. You're not simply clothed with Christ's robe of righteousness. You are are Christ's righteousness. Martin Luther, the great reformer from the 1500s, he said famously that a Christian, the bride of Christ, is snow-covered dung. I say, no. You are not snow-covered dung. You are snow-covered snow. A change has happened. How can this be? Because the old heart that you were born with that was, that was slaved, enslaved to the flesh and enslaved to sin was cut out, crucified with Christ, and died when you believed. For me, it was in 1993. 
and a brand new creation, a brand new life, a brand new heart, the very bride of Christ, a brand new me was now birthed, born, formed from the very Spirit of God in true holiness and true righteousness. Holy like Him. Righteous like Him. Blameless like Him. Spotless like Him. No spot, no wrinkle, or any such thing just like Him. Now, does sin still live in these mortal bodies and confuse us and dupe us and rear its ugly head on daily occasions? Yes, but it, sin, is not our lover. Jesus is our lover. Sin is not our husband. Jesus is our husband. And so we get our identity, the bride, from our husband. Several years ago, 14, in fact, this woman was April Hudson. Everybody knew her as April Hudson. But her identity changed. You don't know her as April Hudson. You know her as April Davis because her identity changed. She took my identity because she's my bride. Listen, church, you have a new identity. You are the bride of Christ. And sin and the enemy will try their best to confuse you and distort you and twist you into thinking that you are nothing more than some sort of sinner. That's not the truth. Sure, we all stumble in many ways, but you are not sinner. You are saint, the bride of the morning star. This is your union with the Christ. This is your reality. This is your truth. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what this is completely fully like. But when we read the shadow in Genesis 2 and how incredible it is, can we not begin to imagine what the substance really is like? Just as Adam and Eve were a perfect fit, so also Jesus and you are a perfect fit. So why do we find marriage so difficult at times on earth? Well, here's an idea. We find marriage so difficult at times because the enemy, sin, the flesh, they desire to destroy the very thing that is a beautiful, glorious shadow of the substance of Christ and his church. And so the enemy said, if I can destroy that by pinning man against man, woman against woman, destroying this thing, then I can get at him and, and skew the picture of him. I think we should be wise to his schemes. So how do we go about fixing our marriages? We go about fixing our marriages by fixing our eyes on our union with Christ. We see what he's done to us. We see what he's done for us. We see how he has removed every spot and wrinkle, any such thing. And, and I tell you what, I will give you money. I will give you money. My wife's like, what? I will give you money. If you, fixing your eyes on Jesus and his love for you, your union with him, I'll give you money. If that generates within you a desire to hold grudges and anger against your bride or against your groom. Because it will not. It will not. Jesus himself lives in you. So what do we see today? Real quickly, these are on the Bible notes in the Bible app if you want to... uh, Refer to them later. It's kind of a lot to write down. What do we see today? Just as Adam had, 
just as Adam had nothing that was compatible with him in the animals, Jesus had nothing compatible with him in humanity because of sin. Nothing compatible. Number two, what do we see today? Just as Adam was given a bride that perfectly fit him because she was from him, Jesus also was given a bride that perfectly fit because she, you, are from him, born of him. What did Jesus say? Except a man be born again, he cannot be a part of this. Number three, just as Adam and Eve had no shame between them, Jesus and his bride, the church, you, have no shame between them ever, ever. Why ever? Well, with Adam and Eve, you turn the page and they sin, and then you know, things got a little rocky, a little rough, a little difficult. This thing called the curse and death. Today, when you and I stumble in sin, nevermore will that be held against us. Why? Because it was all held against Jesus, the only person, the only one accusing you, trying to link your identity to what sinful things you've done is the enemy himself. For the the groom knows who the bride is. And number four, what do we see today? That the reason the devil, sin, and the flesh seek to pervert sexuality, the reason they seek to pervert and destroy marriage is because sexuality, a man and a woman, all, marriage, union between a man and a woman are a glorious shadow of a glorious substance, Christ and his bride, which is you. So you say, Walt, wait a second. Where are the seven steps to how to, you know, fix my marriage? Where, where's the practical, hey, um, you know, how, learn, learn how to be happy though married. We're, 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 we're um, not really going to do that because I don't think that's what fixes things. I think what fixes things is when we fix our eyes on the substance of Christ's bride and then watch the Spirit of God put to death the desires, the evil desires that are alive in our flesh. And so as is our custom, we are going to spend the next uh, 10 minutes or so before we have to uh, break with uh, our microphone. And if anybody has a word of encouragement, a testimony, a saying, a, um, a uh, question, a, hey, but what about anything along those lines? I'd encourage you to, uh, to take the mic and just share a word of encouragement with everyone else. Maybe it's a question. Uh, maybe you can give some pointers on how you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, something. I don't know. But something uh, that would be encouraging to the saints uh, that you, the Spirit of God has perhaps showed you. Maybe a question. Who knows? Anybody who'd like to take a first stab at sharing uh, something that the Lord has on your heart? Yeah, correct. So I have a lot of thoughts, but I guess I've got to be careful about how I say them. I usually plan when I'm teaching what I'm about to say, but this is going to come off the cuff. Um, when you were talking about compatibility, in my head I just kept, then asking the question, how did the woman become so unvalued and subordinate in the Jewish culture? You know, was that worked into the 613 laws of Moses, or was that just tradition or what have you? And then, you know, now in Western civilization, we've achieved this 
equality of the two sexes, and now I feel like the pendulum's almost swung so far to the other side that women are being encouraged to, you know, forget about man, leave them behind. You know, you can go have as many children as you want. You don't need a man in your life. Just girl power, go do that. To the point where now it's almost like we've swung so far away from what was intended at the beginning of Genesis. And so I guess my where my head goes is to conversations that I've had with my wife where, you know, every once in a while I'll just out of the blue tell her, now don't you die on me <laughs> because I can't do this just by myself. And she'll turn around just out of the blue and say very similar things like, I could never do this by myself. And that compatibility and that togetherness and that union isn't being echoed in the media or in mainstream norms. And I guess my encouragement would just be if the world isn't going to be able to witness a successful marriage from Christians, where is it going to come from? And so I guess my, my plea for myself would be, man, I'd love my marriage to be modeled after what was intended of it so that at least that would be a beacon of some sort as to how this works. Um, not that I'm an expert. <laughs> My wife left, but she'd say amen to that. Um, but just equality and decision-making and and just teamwork and shared responsibilities and just a true oneness. Um, so I guess if you had thoughts on how it was in Jewish culture, it was that way. Right. And I mean... We all have opinions on how we got to this day in America and whether that's good or bad, sure. I don't know. But sure. I just feel like history hasn't landed on the intent of marriage yeah. yet. And I don't know that it will unless there's a massive revelation of Christ. But Yeah, which, yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, my, my thought, just quickly, is um, it, it all went to pot, if I could say it that way, uh, the very next chapter at the fall. In fact, you might not be familiar uh, with, I wasn't until recently, but uh, part of the curse uh, following the fall was, was this, God cursing or pronouncing or pronouncing this curse over the woman. This is what he says. To the woman, he says, verse 16, Genesis 3, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. All right, that's no fun. In pain you shall bring forth children. We're, we know that part of the curse. Everybody can, you know, understands that. We, that's pretty familiar. But look at this next part. Your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And I could hear the Spirit of God saying, but from the beginning it was not so. This is a result of the curse that has entered. Because sin and death have entered, this whole shadow is being skewed. And now it's not going to be this glorious, this is it, bone of my bone. It's going to be now he, because of sin in him, and you, woman, because of sin in you, are going to be in a competitive relationship of who Where's the pants of who, you know, all these sorts of phrases that we come up with, but it's fundamentally because of the fall of sin 
Part of the curse is his desire to rule over her, and she has a desire. So you see a lot of codependency. You see a lot of uh, how many women have been beaten, almost lifeless physically, but yet they keep going back to the dude. That's a part of the fall of sin in them. Their desire is for him. Oh, he didn't mean it. Oh, this, de- this codependency issue. And so now in the new covenant, the new creation has undone that. And now we can, in the new heart, in our new substance of our life with Christ, we can actually begin to re-redeem this brokenness of marriage for what it truly is. So that's my thoughts on it. But, you know, you sprinkle in, what is it, 10,000 years of human history and all this sort of stuff, and, you know, it's a pretty big mess. But we've got to get back to the substance in order to understand. That's my, any other thoughts on, on that's a great question of how we got to where we are and, and why is it so different from the original and whatnot, I don't know. Or any other thoughts, questions, comments? David, can you pass it along? Thanks. So my thought is, my thought is not to piggyback off of Craig's, but um, I guess I don't know where to start and where how to start this and how to finish it. So I'll start by saying I'm not naturally a violent person, or I don't. I'm not like super prone to anger, but if there's one thing that will make me real angry, talk about this lady right here, um, and it will bring out all the rage that I have. And I say that because I think we as, as believers need to be very mindful that we have a husband in heaven looking down on his bride, and while we may see ourselves and our brothers and sisters as flawed. He sees us as spotless. And I will just say, years ago, I was very convicted because I was just bad-mouthing the church um, and just realized if I feel that way when somebody talks about her, how must he feel when people talk about his bride? And so take it for what kind of worth but that's something that the lord laid on my heart many years ago so thanks david i hear jesus saying saul saul why do you persecute me when did G- when did saul persecute jesus well, it was when he was persecuting his bride the two have become one that's a oneness that i just don't know if i've ever really thought of growing up you know the oneness of you and christ so amazing any other thoughts or Comments, questions, uh, encouragements? All right, yeah, Jonas? I was reflecting a little bit about uh, Walt's comments in the beginning about last week's uh, podcast uh, message not being recorded. And I kind of see a silver lining in that, in that. Uh, whatever inspiration that people draw from the podcast, uh, here's an opportunity uh, to reflect on God is still there. If the message of grace, the purity of the gospel is something that pulled us in, there was an opportunity to know that their week would be no less Mm -hmm. because they didn't listen to the podcast. Sure. And they were just fine. I was just like to think of that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Awesome. Any anything else before we break? Hopefully this is encouraging. Hopefully it is edifying, and uh, we'll continue seeing uh, this beautiful thing of marriage, the shadow, getting fixed as we fix our eyes on our union with Christ. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone who's here. I thank you for the love which you, with which you have loved us. Oh my, oh my. How can we ever begin to comprehend this? But yet we forget it so much, so often. May we be reminded even this morning of this inexhaustible and insatiable love that you have towards us. And it's not because you saw us and said, hey, there's some pretty good looking stuff. It's because of who you are and your love that you made us through death and resurrection, a new creation, a bride, righteous and holy, complete in you and always compatible. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.